I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in Revelation chapter 14, and we'll pay particular attention to verse 1 and verse 13. So let's just read those verses again. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And then verse 13, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And after the sermon, we will sing hymn 64, hymn 64, the stanzas one and two. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your only comfort in life and death? The answer to that question is distinctly familiar to us for good reason, isn't it? We recognize the question, and we know the answer is coming from the Heidelberg Catechism. Believers have taken great comfort confessing, even while lying on their deathbed, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. So together with the saints of years gone by, we believe and confess without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is the strength and the comfort of my life. He is my salvation. Of whom and of what should I then be afraid? And not only has the Lord Jesus paid for my sins, but he has freed me from all the power of the devil. I don't need to tell you that this world is not a friendly place for Christians. The devil is on the attack and has no use for Christians. But Jesus is our master and not Satan. The devil is a brutal beast. But he cannot do the saints of God any eternal harm. Well, to know this ought to put our hearts at ease, don't you think? Why be afraid? To be freed from the power of the devil is to be delivered from a power far more evil than anything believers have experienced or seen on the face of this earth. The great theologian Abraham Kuyper once wrote, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison 
a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. And are these not the things that the book of Revelation has been telling us to do and to be aware of? The Apostle John, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, has given a series of visions that are meant to encourage embattled Christians to persevere in the faith, even though they face great opposition from the surrounding secular culture. The church is repeatedly encouraged to press on because the course of history is not in the hands of the devil, but is controlled by the Lamb. The book of Revelation gives us a panoramic vision, a bird's eye view of history. And it does so in the form of a movie, similar to a movie. It puts pictures on the big screen of God's cinema, events that happen on this earth that could frighten the bravest soul if we weren't able to confess with certainty. He, the Lamb, has set me free from all the power of the devil. And he also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Back in Revelation 12, we are given a vision of a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And that is a picture of the church of the Old Testament ready to give birth to a child, the Savior Jesus Christ. This chapter portrays in living colors the victory of Jesus Christ, but also reminds us that since the dragon couldn't destroy the Lamb, he does everything to attack the church of the Lamb. Since Satan has been defeated by Christ, he makes war on the saints who dwell on the earth, attacking some in groups, some in various geographical settings, and others individually. Revelation 12 and 13 give a horrific and graphic description of the ways in which the devil seeks to destroy the purposes of the Father, to make the church of Christ seem ridiculously out of place and entirely out of touch. The dragon tries to shore up support for his schemes with his haughty and blasphemous words. He deceives and he dupes multitudes throughout the world, even using religion and perversions of Christianity and morality as substitutes for faith in Christ. He uses immorality as a slave master and tries to focus the attention of individuals on satisfying self-centered, what's-in-it-for-me desires rather than giving glory to God. The devil tries to push Christians to the sidelines of societal life because rather than have all things work together for my salvation, he 
tries to destroy our assurance and our tie to the Lord Jesus. Indeed, brothers and sisters, the situation looks desperate. How can Christians keep pressing on faithfully when they are under attack from all sides? How can there be comfort in life? Tens of thousands of Christians are killed around the globe for giving testimony to Jesus. And that goes on year after year, decade after decade, century after century. But we're not told to retreat, are we? We're never told to have a Christian pity party or to feel sorry for ourselves, are we? And why not? Well, it all boils down to this. It's because of the Lamb. In Him we have the confidence all things will work together for my salvation. And so rather than allow ourselves to be terrorized, tempted and traumatized by the devil, we need to look to the Lamb. And this is where the Lord Jesus himself steps in and takes us to what is revealed to us in the heavenly cinema. Brothers and sisters, when the horrors of living in this sinful world are pictured on God's screen, we might want to close our eyes to what is going on in this world. But that is not the solution. We need to keep watching. For look at what is on the big screen as we now turn to the next scene in this great movie, the Apocalypse, in chapter 14. As the terrors and tensions mount, as spoken of in chapter 12 and 13, the Apostle John is given another glimpse of something very wonderful. And John, in turn, does not keep this to himself but he passes it on to the churches and thus also to us. The apostle takes us to see the Lord Jesus. He writes, Then I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And that must have been quite something. What a magnificent moment. Jesus as the Lamb is right there in front of John. He sees him standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Why there? Well, this mount was considered the seat of God's sovereign rule through Christ over the church and all creation. Mount Zion is the heavenly seat of divine rule. Mount Zion is the symbol of deliverance, victory, and salvation. Beloved, observe the strength and power and stability of the Lord Jesus Christ standing on Mount Zion. He firmly exercises his sovereign rule even while the dragon and his servants oppose him and go after his people. He does not cower or waver. He is our comfort and our strength throughout the days of our life. And notice Jesus does not stand alone. 
He is standing with the 144,000, the complete number of the elect. He's not standing there with a number lower than 144,000, not even by one. So John sees on the screen of the kingdom's theater a beautiful scene which he writes down for our comfort. These 144,000 have the name of the Lamb and the name of the Father marked on their foreheads. So they are identified with the Father and with the Lamb. They are recognizably His. You see, in the face of Satan's relentless attacks, Christians can remain confident that they are in the presence of the sovereign Lamb of God because they belong to the Lamb and they are under the protection of the Father. And wherever they go in this world, they are easily recognizable throughout the world as belonging to the Lamb, as those who are victorious, who have in Him a safe haven. Verse 4 tells us that these 144,000 who stand with the Lamb were purchased at a tremendous cost, the blood of the Lamb. Yes, the 144,000 can rest secure, having been purchased through the blood of the Lamb, and His name is permanently engraved on their foreheads with the pen of God's unchanging love and faithfulness. And so that gives us security. There is nothing in this life, not even the forces of the evil one, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Those who stand in the service of the beast bear his mark. But our identity is in Christ. And knowing all this, does that not give comfort peace, and joy to your hearts. Now, those who bear the name of Jesus are characterized by three things, and with this, distinguished from the followers of the devil. And those three things are fidelity, faithfulness, devotion, and honesty. The first of these three is fidelity. John writes, these are the ones who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. Now, sexual imagery is used to emphasize fidelity to Christ. Do you remember how often the Old Testament describes unfaithfulness and apostasy as spiritual adultery and prostitution? And that is the way Babylon, as the center of opposition to God and his people, is described as well. In this chapter in verse 8, we read, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The church is Christ's bride, sanctified, holy, and cleansed. So when the 144,000 are described as those who have not defiled themselves with women, we are reminded 
of the call to fidelity, to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Christians must remain faithful, remembering that we are the bride of Christ. This is who we are. This is how we will act. And furthermore, the 144,000 not only show fidelity to Christ, they are devoted to him. These are the ones, the text says, who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The nursery rhyme says, And everywhere that Mary went, the Lamb was sure to go. But here, in the church, things are different. Everywhere that the Lamb went, the saints were sure to go. They follow him to church not only one day, but every day. Because where he goes, they go. Yes, people of God, we follow the Lamb in doing the will of the Heavenly Father to take up our cross and to follow him in humble service and to love one another. And thirdly, these 144,000 are marked by honesty. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. It's belonging to the Lord. We are to live as those who belong to Him. You are to rest in the security that you are His. In an anti-Christian world saturated with lies and deceit, Christians stand out as emblems of truth and honesty and integrity. And rather than speaking lies, we are to speak truth to the honor and glory of the Lord. And so you see, brothers and sisters, that the Lamb standing on Mount Zion Zion is our comfort in life and in death. He makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to serve Him in fidelity and devotion and honesty. But now it's time to take a closer look at verse 13. For Jesus is our only comfort in life, but also in death. Now what we have in these verses of Revelation 14 is an elaboration really on what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 21. Those who bear the mark of the Lamb and of the Father have a wonderful perspective both on life and death. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Philippians 1 verse 21 says. And who else can say this and make such a claim? Death is gained for believers in Christ because it ushers God's God's people into increasingly deeper dimensions of life without the presence of sin and with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And that's why John can write what he does in Revelation 14 verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. John uses the same word for blessed that Christ used in the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Beatitude of Revelation 14 says, Blessed, or literally, Oh, the multiplied happiness of the dead. Now, without the perspective of faith, that's foolish talk. Oh, the multiplied happiness of the dead, of those who die in the Lord. It sounds strange because it almost seems like we're happy that the person who died is gone. And indeed, we may be happy that those who die in the Lord are no longer with us. And not because we didn't like having them with us, but because dying in the Lord, they are ahead of us. Christ gives us comfort in life and death. The one who says, blessed are the dead, does not put a period after the word dead. This is not some universal blanket statement suggesting it is better to be dead. No. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, who die being connected to Jesus, who are in communion with Him, who is Lord and Master of all who are connected with him who is the resurrection and the life. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, who are in a relationship with the one who will one day summon them to come out of the grave, who indeed works all things together for my salvation. So what exactly does it mean to live and die in the Lord? Can an individual be sure that he or she will die in the Lord if he or she believes there is a God? Living and dying in the Lord means you are completely immersed in Him and surrounded by Him. Being in Christ, you believe that He and He alone is your all. You follow Him in faith and let Him and His Word set you all your standards and regulate all your actions. You surrender yourself completely to the will of the Lord in good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in prosperity and adversity. If you don't live in the Lord, that is in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot have this blessed assurance when you die. You can only have this confidence when you believe in Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, we can try convincing ourselves that we are okay without Christ, but it isn't really so. In the verses preceding verse 13, we are given a picture of the judgment which will come on those who have no regard for the Lord or who reject what he has to say. They will have no rest day or night, we are told. You know how people indiscriminately add 
the letters R.I.P. to a death announcement. That's what people post on Facebook when they are saddened by a death as well. And you will find the words rest in peace on many tombstones. But in reality, anyone who does not know Christ will be lacking both rest and peace. Verse 11 says, There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. But death does not leave us miserable when our life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit confirms the beatitude for the dead. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their works will follow them. Thanks be to Christ, complete and perfect, thanks to Christ's complete and perfect work of redemption, those who face death do not grieve as though they were without hope. Jesus has conquered the meaningless and meaninglessness and vanity of life. Now, Revelation 14, verse 13 gives two reasons why those who die in the Lord are to be congratulated and considered happy. Number one, they leave behind their labor. And secondly, they take along their deeds. Now, you may be wondering, what's going on here? Doesn't that sound confusing? How can you rest from your labor and at the same time take along your deeds? And we have to understand that labor and deeds, works, are not the same. Labor, as used here, includes hardships, sufferings, sicknesses, diseases, the struggle against anxiety and depression, the trials of life in this sinful and corrupt world. Those who die in the Lord rest from the labor of fighting against personal sins, against the temptations of the devil. Sometimes we pray for the healing of a loved one. But the greatest healing is actually physical death because death frees us from all suffering and pain. Never again will another tear be shed. Never again will, be, will we be saddled with grief and sorrow. Dying in the Lord, we leave behind sin. And we leave the consequences of sin behind as well. And not only are believers who die in the Lord to be congratulated because of the suffering that they leave behind, but also because of the works which follow them into heaven. But again, we have a question. What is John saying with this? Well, he is not saying that their works or their deeds will precede them, is he? He's not saying that the dead will march into the presence of the heavenly king and they'll say, here are my works. Aren't they just terrific? I'm coming into your presence on the basis of my deeds. 
Beloved, we know from other parts of Scripture that there is no entry into the presence of the Lord. There is no entry into heaven on the basis of our works. All things work together for my salvation because God sent His Son into the world to suffer and to die for our sin in our place and to restore us to life. When we die, when we come into the holy presence of the Lord and we are welcomed to heaven, it is on the basis of faith in the Lord Jesus. We come trusting in His glorious sacrifice on the cross. We come on the basis of what He has accomplished. But as we come, we are instructed to look behind. And what do we see following us? There, to our astonishment, we see our deeds. And that's a wonderful thing. Especially if we are insecure and have had a very low view of the usefulness of what we have been able to accomplish as children of God and as citizens of His kingdom. There they come. Every last deed that was used to bring God glory. And when we look, behind, and when we look back, we stand amazed that the Lord was able to do so much through our little life. And the works that follow us are those with which the Spirit has clothed us during our life. We carry into heaven the fruit of the Spirit's work in us. The deeds which follow us are those which, are serve, which serve the furtherance of God's kingdom and the edification of Christ's church. Once physical death comes, we do not lie down and become idle. The body goes to the grave, but we go to heaven and we go on with what we have been doing on this earth glorifying God's name and building on the foundation of the relationship He established with us. Yet sin will be excluded. Our deeds will be made perfect. Our loved ones rest from their labor in the perfection of heaven. Yes, we believe that those who die in the Lord are with the Lord, not because they were such good people, but because of the everlasting promises of the Lord which are given to them and assigned and sealed to them in baptism. Their being in Christ was evident in their desire to serve the Lord according to His Word and to do so in everything the Lord gave them to do in the office of all believers. Brothers and sisters, what will you do with the gospel? Will the meaning of life be high on your mind? You see, if Christ does not come back beforehand, death will come knocking on your door too. Will you be given rest from your labors? 
You can only be assured you will be given eternal rest when you learn to rest from your evil works today by letting the Holy Spirit work in you through the Word, by seeking your life in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Our present world has so many things distracting us from what really counts. And sometimes those things can make us feel resentful, bitter, or rebellious. But let each of us go from here looking to the Lord Jesus and to the comfort of His Word. He is for real, and His promises are not empty. And therefore, brothers and sisters, go on in faith. This is what the Lord calls each of us to do, to stand firm, to let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not useless. Yes, let us go forth and live for the Lord and in the Lord. There is nothing more valuable or more important to be done than that. And as you live for the Lord, write this. Write this on your hearts, on your minds, and on your souls. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Yes, blessed are the dead in the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Well, this afternoon you have listened to the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lamb of God, Standing on Mount Zion, you have watched a segment of the apocalypse. Yes, you have been shown what and who is your only comfort in life and in death. Amen.